This is the SBI Podcast. I am Garrett Cleverly. On the other side of the country, on this show is Ivis Galarsev. How are you doing today, man? Doing well, Garrett. I'm, uh, I'm over here uh, trying to uh, contain myself and uh, keep from spoiling tonight's episode of The Walking Dead. Yeah, me. stop it. I don't say anything, please. Hey, no spoilers over here. I'd never ruin it for you, especially tonight's episode, which was amazing. When this guy died, it was unbelievable. I, you know, it's shocking to me that this is the second time you've told me that someone's died, and it's just no one ever dies in that show, so I, I can only wonder who it's going to be. No one ever dies. Yeah, no one, no one ever dies in that show. At least, I'm sorry, there's at least five or six dead people. Actually, I mean, so I'll have to admit to this, though. I, I actually i uh, have had a couple like nightmare, like zombie apocalypse dreams, actually. It's, it's kind of freaky, man. Uh, well, you know what's funny? Uh, I I have to say, going back a few years, I feel like I dreamt the, the every every episode of The Walking Dead before the show existed, and I really feel like I, m- I missed the boat on a, on a big payday there. You know, poor me. I didn't take advantage of it. I didn't write it down. You know how they say you should write things down. And you should dream, and you you should I get totally a website. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll start a I'll start a knockoff version of The Walking Dead uh, that's just all the same stuff with a different name. And Ivis, it's funny we talk about The Walking Dead is because of speaking of nightmare scenarios, Landon Donovan announced that he's coming back with just, yes, breaking news. However, though, it's not to the end of March, so hold on, Galaxy fans. However, though, great that he's coming back, though, Ivis. Well, I think for Galaxy fans, it, it's it's good news because mm-hmm. there was that, that fear uh, of, of possible retirement. At least some people thought he would retire. I, ne- I personally never thought he was going to completely walk away from the game. But for U.S. national team fans, it, the, today's news was had to be a, a bit of a shock because it pretty much laid it out that he won't be a part of the March qualifiers. He's not even going to, you know, join a team or kick a ball until the until late March. And you know, if you're if you're Jurgen Klinsmann or if you're U.S. players, you know, yeah, yeah while you want to respect his his wishes and respect his you know mental state and, and everything he's dealing with. It's got to be disappointing, especially when you think about how important those games are going to be coming off the loss to Honduras. I mean, it's a big loss not having Landon Donovan in the mix now, and it's going to be up to some some new players to step up, some other players to to get to get in line to to replace Landon. And now the the next question becomes: Does he ever come back? Is he ever part of the national team mix? Does Jurgen Klinsmann take this as a as a slight, as an insult? Does does he use this as an excuse to to basically? Keep landing out come June, and 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 you know if people step up step up now in March, then then Klinsman just might be able to do that. He he needs to come back because I I play as the USA in my seasons mode on FIFA, and since they updated the roster, I was they, Landon Donovan's not on the team. I have no speed on the wings on my team. He needs to come back so they can put him back on the roster so I can still kill people when I play FIFA. There's no speed on the wing, Ivis. And, and that also goes for real life, too. I, I know I'm talking about the video game, but, I mean, when you look at it, I mean, with Landon Donovan not being there, I mean, you're, you're losing a significant amount of speed on that wing. Well, I mean, that's been the big complaint uh, from, from a lot of U.S. fans that I, that I you know, talk to and, and that, you know, frequent SBI is the U.S. team is too narrow right now, especially, you know, that Honduras game where there was no real width uh, in the midfield. There, there were no wide options, and, and, and not having Donovan in the mix is going to be a big blow, and, it just puts that much more onus on, on Breck Shea's return, and, and can he get back? Can he get in shape? Can he get on the field at, at Stoke City? Uh, and you know, he, we're still waiting to see if that happens. But it's uh, it's all the more pressing an issue now because uh, you know, if he doesn't come back, then you're gonna have then you're gonna have to turn to someone like Graham Zusi 
or, or potentially mm-hmm. Sasha Kleshton or Josh Gatt. I mean, I know Kleshton's not a winger, but someone like Josh Gatt with his speed on the wing could, could, could definitely help. But again, you're talking about young guys who don't have that experience, who haven't been through the wars mm-hmm. of CONCACAF qualifying like Landon Donovan. And, 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 you know, no, he's not the savior of the team. No, he's not the guy who's going to carry the team anymore. But he, for what he's, he's a player who plays a position that's sorely lacking right now. Yeah, and, and that's especially important too. And I mean, you said the experience yet alone. I mean, Ivis also when you look at another player who whose experience this team could be using is that of Stuart Holden, who was expected to make the 18 this weekend. He wasn't even announced to the 18, and now that has to make that makes you question what what what's really going on. I mean, is he back to being injured? I mean, because everything looks so great, then all of a sudden, boom, supposed to be in the 18, not going to be in the 18, and he wasn't. Right. It, it's unclear at this point what, what exactly went down uh, at Bolton. Uh, Dougie Friedman, the manager, had mentioned during the week, I think he mentioned it on Friday, actually, before the game, that he expected Holden to be in, uh, in the lineup, or not in the lineup, but at least in the 18, uh, which would have been a big step for him because he hasn't been in the 18 for a league match uh, since before the injury. Now that he didn't dress for this last game, didn't play, uh, it, it definitely makes you think that at this point it's pretty much a, a, a given that he won't be there for March. And, and it was probably, you know, a bit, a bit ambitious, a bit unrealistic and, and hopeful uh, to, to kind of project him out uh, and try to project the best case scenario where he would have played, you know, every game between now and the March qualifiers and maybe Jurgen Klinsmann would have picked them. Uh, I think, again, that comes back to the idea that, you know, this, this U S team, is in such dire need of help on the wings that that you know you just anyone that you could potentially project to come back you'd want to put there and I know some, I know people will think about Holden and say oh he's not a wing player uh, no obviously central midfield is his main position but I mean if you recall if you want to go back a ways uh, when he first broke in with the national team he he did play on the right wing and was pretty effective there providing really good service and you know he gets up and down the wing and you have to wonder maybe in the long run if maybe that's not a better spot for him because as great as he is in the middle I mean it, it's just it's when you're in central midfield and playing the way he plays, it's almost like you're, you you put yourself in position to get to to deal with ugly tackles and harsh challenges, and obviously the part of that's bad luck. But again, if he was healthy, he'd be a very good option for for your Klinsman to consider on the on the on the right wing. When when you also look at it too, I mean the 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 U.S. is loaded. I personally, I, I think the U.S. is loaded at center mid right there. I mean between Bradley Jones. Uh, Williams, uh, Adu, Beckerman. I mean, you have all five of those guys who you could at any time make a case or an argument that they could be starting at one time. So, I mean, that that's the thing. I mean, Holden moving to you know to right wing is going to help him out, though. But him not being in the 18 this weekend, I mean, we talked about it last week, Ivis, and that was that he had to it, he had to see action that weekend, and that was the final cutoff. And now you look towards something for June. But, I mean, the thing, though, with Ivis, when you look at him and just let's say Bolton, I mean, let's, let's ignore the U.S. team. When I mean, are you hearing anything of when he should be back? Maybe playing for Bolton. Well, everything that everything pointed to him coming back last week, and and playing some at least. You know, he's obviously playing in reserve games and 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 getting on the field, and and he's he's getting time there. But obviously, it's a completely different story when you talk about league play. That's really where he's going to be able to test himself, and really you know get to a level where he can even think about the national team. And, and until he gets on the field and plays a good number of games, and we're not talking about two or three games, you know, when you talk about a player who's missed a year and a half, has been sidelined that long and has dealt with so many injuries. And if you think about from 2010 to now, uh, two years plus um, dealing with those two major injuries 
he's really hasn't played much. So he needs, he needs it, it. Give him these few months, give him the rest of this month, March, April. If you, you want to hope that he can get back on the field at some point this month, give him March, April, May to really get some games in, get a steady rhythm, get back to the form that, at, you know, at one point made him one of the top midfield, central midfielders in the premier league, uh, you know, based on ratings in England at one point, if he can, you know, give him that time, Come May, June, when you talk about qualifiers, he could potentially be in that mix. And even the, even if at that point, even if he's still, uh, you know, trailing a bit, isn't quite all the way back, at least you can definitely consider him for the Gold Cup. I think that's, at this point, uh, a best case. And, and you mentioned the midfield. You mentioned the central midfield, and you rattled off the names of all the players mm-hmm. that you say that there's depth there. There are a lot of names there. But I, ha- I don't know how many of those guys are necessarily <laughs> instilling a ton of confidence. You know, I mean, other than Michael Bradley who, you know, is head and shoulders the class of the central midfield, uh, one of the, him and Dempsey's best field players on the national team right now. Other than him, I mean, all those other guys are, have some serious question marks. I mean, Jermaine Jones has, hasn't necessarily torn it up, even though Jurgen Klinsmann loves him and raves about him every chance he gets. I, I wouldn't say he's necessarily been a great option, uh, has had great games. I, don't, I wouldn't say that. Danny Williams has been awful his last two games. Uh, Kyle Beckerman against higher level competition has, has struggled and Marisa do, you know, looking at him now, you, you want, you want to see if he gets some playing time and gets a chance now that he's playing regularly for versus four. But it, I, I think, I think there's still enough question marks there in the middle that make a lot of us fans want Stuart Holden to come back, put him in the midfield, partner him with, with Michael Bradley. I think that's the ideal midfield for a lot of people. I was, why, why are we being so negative on this show so far today? We're just keeping it real, man. I mean, that, that's oh, just man, the state dude. of reality. The I, no, it, it is. It is. But, like, I mean, I'm trying to be optimistic about the uh, the center mids on the – I mean, you just killed me, man. Listen, just like The Walking Dead, you can't pretend <laughs> that, that, that it's not a messed up situation. You can't pretend you're not in a zombie apocalypse. And maybe the state of the U.S. national team is not is, – is, it, it isn't quite a zombie apocalypse. It's not that bad. But right now, you, it, it's it's tough for a fan or tough for for, for, for – analysts of, of the national team to point to a ton of, of positives. Well, well, well Ivis, we, we do have some positives. Let, let's, let's now get the show. Let, let's make the show positive. And, and that's one of them is Michael Parkhurst started his first game for Osberg, and Timothy Chandler bounced back in form and provided the assist on the game-time goal in stoppage time. And, and hey, that, that is great for two guys. When you look at it on that right-back position, I mean, that's great to see competition, two guys vying you know, obviously, you know, obviously they're playing well, but you know, that's good. It's good to see two guys in form playing well for their club teams. Absolutely. That you know what you you hit the nail on the head there. That's something positive uh, going on right now, and people need to realize if Michael Parkhurst uh, is going to start playing regularly for Augsburg and starting regularly, which seems to be the case now that they're regular starting right back. It looks like he's out for the season with a knee injury. If Parkhurst can start regularly, get to a good level of play then you could see a domino effect in the U.S. midfield because, I mean, in the U.S. lineup, because if you play Parkhurst at right back, if you he, if he, he can have enough confidence in him to start him at right back, you can move Timmy Chandler to left back. And then you could, all of a sudden, you might be able to address your wing problem by moving Fabian Johnson up to uh, up to midfield. And as much as I know Jurgen Klinsmann has, has shot down that idea in the past when he's been asked about it, the fact of the matter is Fabian Johnson is arguably the best winger in the pool, and if you have an attack that's just struggling, if you have an, a, an offense in the midfield that's just desperate in desperate need of wing help, wing play, effective wing plays, 
he might not have a choice. You know, he might he might have to take Parkhurst and Chandler starting Bundesliga fullbacks, start them on either fullback side, and and move Fabian Johnson up. I, I think that's something that he's going to have to think about. I know as much as he keeps toying with the Eddie Johnson as a left left winger no. uh, experiment, that just that's just not Eddie Johnson's position. It's just not what he does. It's fine if you're playing on a narrow field against Antigua and Barbuda and you can streak him in off the off the flank and have him head in a goal or beat somebody. That's fine. But you're not gonna beat you're not going to Azteca with Eddie Johnson on the left wing. You're not gonna beat uh, you know, Honduras, you're not gonna beat yeah, I don't even think you'll beat Costa Rica. Maybe at home you could beat him. But you, you have to be a little more realistic about what you're gonna do with the wings. And that's something he might have to think about. But again, it boils down to Michael Parker if he can hold on to this opportunity and make the most of it. No, and that's especially true. I mean, and also, I mean, a, a lot of that was with that. But let's look at Timothy. I mean, Timmy Chandler, though. You know, he, he, with all the drama that he's provided, Ivis, it it doesn't really seem that his play on the field has been totally justified. I mean, are, are we going to have kind of a love hate relationship with him, where it's going to be there's times we're going to love him and times that we're going to hate him, and okay, he does well here, he does bad there. I mean, is that how it's going to be with him going forward? I don't know if we should jump to that conclusion, you know, uh, just based off the Honduras game. Because let's face it, how many people actually played well in the Honduras game? Not many. A lot of people struggled on the field. Obviously, all four Germans struggled. It was a hot day. You, you know, for the German players that are coming from Germany in the winter, they're in cold. They're, they're acclimated to the cold, and all of a sudden they have to play in, in, in a hot tropical climate in the middle of the day. And I know people say that's an excuse, and, you, and Honduras had the same conditions. That's fair, but at the same time, a good chunk of Honduras's team had played five ma- matches plus in January in Costa Rica. They had been used to that atmosphere. They they were in in very good shape, and it showed. And Timmy Chandler was one of those players who obviously struggled that day. They struggled with the heat. He he didn't look at all like the player that he normally looks like. You know that the player that he that that he shows regularly in Germany. And what's interesting is, you know, in the game since that Honduras game, Timmy Chandler's actually been very good. For Nuremberg, his last two games since the Honduras game, he's been very, very good, and, and it's it's it, it, you know it's, it's it's a testament to him that he's been able to rebound that that way. And you know, for me, I think going back to uh, going to Denver in March, facing Costa Rica, it's going to be chilly. It's going to be a little more of an atmosphere and a, and a situation that he's used to. You know, I see him rebounding. I see him bouncing back. And 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 I don't know if any, you know I don't know if anyone can just look at that Honduras game and say, oh, Timmy Chandler's not that good. No, Timmy Chandler, when it comes down to it, Timmy Chandler is, the, you know, the future of the position. You know, Steve Trundle is getting older. He, he's starting to break down. You don't know how much, much more he has to give you. Timmy Chandler is a quality fullback, and I think we're going to see that down the road, and I think he's going to remain a key part of the team for the rest of qualifying. No, and that's especially important. I mean, it's, it's like you said. I mean, the competition is going to be good, and it can help out, you know, uh, solve some, some issues in, in, in the intermediate time. Another player who's performing well for his club, Ivis, is Josie Altador, 16th goal in the season, 21 in all competitions. I mean, he just continues to do it on the club level, which is, he's having an amazing season. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's so funny because, I mean, he, you know, he scored another quality goal. He could have had, he could have had a hat trick. I mean, if you watch the game, I mean, he had a few few chances that he, you know, he could have done better on and he came very close on. But it's just funny to me how, you know, we're talking about a guy who has 21 goals, I believe, in all competitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he set a new personal best now for league goals in the season. And it's like as soon as he scores a goal and as soon as you put that on Twitter, it's like some people have an auto response on Twitter. And their auto response without fail for a few people 
is, yeah, but he can't do that for the national team. Or why doesn't he do that for the national team? And we've been through that already. Yeah, Ivis, what, I, yeah, yeah Ivis, why doesn't he do it for the national team? He doesn't do it for the national team <laughs> because he does not play with an attack that's as good as the attack he plays for at, at AZ. Uh, when you, when you think, think about the, the players that are around him there, uh, it, it's just he just has more talent to work with. And, and that, that's something that, you know, Yuri Klinsman just can't pull out Adam Mayer or Roy Behrens out of, out of thin air and, and put those guys, you know, those great AZ attackers and put them on a national team. And, and I believe, you know, you know, when you talk about someone like Landon Donovan being absent, I mean, he's a perfect example of someone who the type of player that could help Josie Altidore so much by making runs, stretching defenses, uh, combining with 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 Altidore, and that's the, that. Those are the things that Altidore is missing when when you talk about the national team, mm-hmm. because he is just not someone that you can pump a ball to and expect him to to dribble through three or four guys. He's a guy who combines well. He can hold it up, lay it off to somebody running off of him, and you just don't see that movement. You don't see that that type of attack with the U.S. and, and it's unfortunate. And, and yes, you know, does it, is it is none of it Josie's fault on national team? I wouldn't go that far. He he can obviously do better, but I think people you know need to realize that you know it's not about the Dutch league being an easy league to score in. Yes, you know, as Jurgen Jurgen Klinsmann stated so eloquently, it, it isn't it isn't as you know it's not as tough to to score in in, in the Dutch league as it is in say the Premier League or the Bundesliga. But it, again, it, that doesn't mean it's easy. And I mean, he's still one of the leading scorers in a very good league. He's still scoring the but, goals. I mean, you have to exactly. score. I mean, is, no matter what exactly. you're in, you he's have to score. The goals. He's one of the top scorers in a very good league. But again, it boils down to the fact that he just does not have the players around him to, to maximize his ability. The positive that people need to keep drawing from this is that he's, he's still g- growing in confidence. You know, as much as he might, it might be frustrating to him on the national team level, I still think he's growing as a player on the club level because, you know, when you keep scoring goals and you keep, you know, just in, improving your game, all facets of your game, especially out there when we talk about the passing, the hold-up play, uh, you know, his ability in the air. I mean, he's definitely improved in a lot of areas. And, and I think it, it's it's all of these goals and all and his performances for Azed are, are, are leading toward a summer where he's going to make a move. He's going to make a big money transfer. He is going to go to a top league. It's inevitable. I mean, they're going to sell. That's without question. I mean, they went and signed, you know, Aaron Johansson uh, to replace him. And, and I think they see that. And, and for me, I absolutely see him leaving on a, on a, you know, 10 million plus, however much money it's going to take. He's going to go on a big transfer. And I think when he does make that move, if he joins the right team, if he joins a team with some talent in a top league, I think we could see him do very well in a very good league. Well, it goes to show, you know, when we had him on a couple of weeks ago, I mean, we were talking about, I mean, Josie's still a very young player, and, and, and I think we sometimes forget and overlook that, that, he's, that he is very young. I mean, and you said, I mean, he's starting to mature. I, I think that whole experience of going to Europe at his young age and, and kind of, you know, sitting on the bench for a while and not getting favorable situations, I think it's, you know, taught him a little bit, like you said, I mean, I think he'll be a little bit maybe smarter with this transfer. He'll look at the team and, and understand kind of what's going out there. And, I mean, that's invaluable information you can get for a player, especially someone like him who the U.S. is going to have to rely on for, you know, for many more years to come. Uh, right. I, I mean, I think he's just he's just better now. He's more mature. He When it came down to it, he wasn't ready when he was sold. When v, Villarreal bought him, it, it, was, it was definitely an eye toward the future. If, v, if Villarreal bought him thinking he could step on the field in, in La Liga and play as an 18-year-old, 
then that was the dumbest decision they've ever made as a transfer. I, I mean, I firmly believe they bought him uh, with, with an eye toward the future. That being said, you know, there, there was a turnover at Villarreal. He had, he had managerial changes. He obviously didn't, didn't develop as quickly as they would have liked. And then he struggled. You know, he struggled in his loan moves. He had the one really failed loan move to Jerez where they, with the team that Villarreal loaned him to didn't even didn't play him. Uh, you know, they were leading the, the, the second division in Spain. They chose not to play him, and it, it wasted a half a season of his career. And then, obviously, he goes to, to England and Hull City, a team that was just dreadful. And it's funny when people point to his time at Hull City and try to knock him as being a bad player. When it, when it came down to it, it didn't – like, they just were not a good team. You know, they, their best player their best player was hurt, Jimmy Bullard, if I remember correctly back then. He – he was out for a long chunk of time. He was their top playmaker. So here you have a teenage Josie Altador playing on an absolutely awful team in the Premier League. And even with all those things, I mean, he still managed to have some amazing moments in England. I mean, I still remember the Man City game, uh, if I remember correctly, the Man City game that he played after the earthquake in Haiti when it was, you know, real emotional time for him. And he tore up Man City's defense. I mean, he went just went after them, scored a goal, and showed the qualities that that he has, and I think from there, when you go from there to now, he's matured. He, he's had a chance to be given regular playing time, and I think now we are seeing the player he can be. And yes, it, it, would it be better if he scored national team goals? Obviously, it'd be better. But I think people who just dismiss the success in the club level are really just being blind to the fact that he is growing as a player. And at a, at some point, when the team, when the rest of the national team has its act together, when Jurgen Klinsmann figures out this lineup, figures out this midfield, then we're going to really see what we ha- what the U.S. has with Josie Altidore. And I think they have a player who has just un- you know his unbelievable potential. It's just not being realized because he just doesn't have the players the the, the setup around him to to help him succeed. Well, Ivis, when you talk you know about looking towards the future, uh, tomorrow night the U.S. men's National under-20 team kicks off in the uh, CONCACAF uh, U-20 championship uh, for a spot to go into the World Cup. USA playing against Haiti. That uh, game is going to be at 6.30 Eastern for you on the West Coast. that can't do math. 3.30 Pacific. Uh, but Ivis, I mean, all these games are going to be in Fox Soccer Channel, so this is going to be a great opportunity for people to see, you know, the, the next generation of up-and-coming players. Right, and I know a lot of people are kind of remembering 2011 and the U-20 team yeah. that didn't make it to the under-20 World Cup. I'd say while this U-20 team, for me, might not be as talented as that one, I think the chances of qualifying are, are, are a little better. I think the landmines that they might face are not quite the ones that that, that team in 2011 faced. And and Ted Ramos, he does, have a, he does have a job. He does have a tough job trying to piece this team together, missing some key players. I mean, you could end up having a defense with some, some players uh, playing out, out of their normal positions. But I think there's still enough talent that it's going to be a fun team to watch. And, there, and there's some pretty good prospects on this squad. Well, there's going to be a lot of uh, not, not scrutiny, but but I, I feel like the microscope is going to be on this team because when you look at it, I mean, the U23 team failed to qualify for the Olympics, and then like you said, I mean, last time in 2011, this U20 team, not not this team, but the U20 team, failed to qualify for the World Cup, and, and just with the 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 bad luck the U.S. men's national team is having, I mean, I feel like if if things don't go well for this team, I mean, there could be a little bit of a of a crisis mode in American soccer. I feel like there's always a crisis mode. Especially no, but this could be years. really bad though, because now we could seriously be like, dude, are you twenty three? Are you twenty? Like, what is going on? Right. I mean, it wouldn't be a good thing if this team didn't qualify. No question. But again, we're talking about a young team. They're not a. They're not exactly a ton of pros playing regularly. 
in this group. Uh, and it, that said, this team should absolutely still qualify. I mean, when you have to play, you know, they, they have to play Haiti and Costa Rica. Uh, and if they, you know, get through that group, they have one. It's a one in one win and you're in quarterfinal matchup. Uh, and it looks like if, if uh, you know, barring a complete collapse, uh, they should have a pretty reasonable road uh, in that match. So, I mean, as I said in the last show, the 2011 team was uh, was such a unique situation because they played well in the group stage, but then they get matched up against the host country that played an inspired game. They played flat, and it was just the worst-case scenario possible um, for the the, 20, the U-20 team two years ago. Uh, you know, and, and I think, if anything, you know, U.S. soccer will have learned from that. I think I'm sure Todd Ramos will look at that, uh, just that whole experience. I mean, he wasn't a the coach then, but I'm sure he, he has taken his notes on the positives and negatives of that experience, and he'll let his players know when they get out of the group stage how important that quarterfinal game is. And then no matter who you play, you still have to play the 90 minutes and you still have to win the game. And and if you take it easy, you will be knocked off. Well, having two experienced guys like Luis Gill and Jose Verrao, you know, guys who have, you know, you know, MLS starts underneath their belt. You know, it's going to be important for this team to rely on guys like that. These, these, I mean, they're not veterans, but veterans of these other guys to help them get through these games to kind of, you know, walk them through the process of things. Well, I was, you know, when I, when I look at the roster, you know, I, I think it's going to be especially important, you know, having guys like Luis Gill and Jose Verrao on the roster, guys who have played in MLS. And it's funny because... They're not veterans, but when you when you look at the rest of the roster, these guys are the veterans of the team, and people are going to be looking at them to to lead this team. And this is going to be a great opportunity for these two guys to to really show that they're ready to one take that next level, uh, take the next step on the national level, but also on the MLS side as well. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'd say if if you're Ty Ramos, I think Ty, uh, you know, the U20 coach, I think he's he's going to be leaning on his European, some of his European based guys as well as someone like Luis Gill. I think VRL is a bit young. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be a leader. But I think, you know, obviously the U.S. The U-20 captain, Caleb Stanko, who, who, who plays in Germany, uh, he's not a first-team player, but at least he has that experience of, of being in the European setup with Freiburg. Uh, he's going to be someone who's very important. I think, you know, Benji Hoya, who, who plays in Mexico, is also going to be a key option. And then, as you mentioned, Luis Gill, uh, who's a very talented player who, who showed really well for Real Salt Lake last year. Played a ton of games and is, and is expected to be a key starter for Real. So, like this year, I think those are those are going to be some of the key guys. And uh, I tell you what, one of, one of the forwards that was kind of the late addition. I think I think he was actually he was the next to last player named to the squad. Uh, someone who who the the U.S. was able to get released for the for the tournament. Uh, the the German American Jerome Kaiswetter. He's someone who's gonna you know I think he could be a key on this team. I think you know he. He has shown in past camps that he's got some really good qualities. You know, fast player, uh, a good option up top, and uh, I, I think he's he's someone to keep an eye on. For me, the 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 front six I think can create goals and can generate chances. Villarreal, Gill, Hoya, all those guys, really skilled players. The real question mark again, uh, and it sounds like we're talking national team again in the back, the center back position. You know, that that's where the real question mark is because you know the Walker Zimmerman. Uh, the FC Dallas first round pick would would have been a starter, probably be a captain of this team, but he's out injured uh, with a groin injury. And now you could have a center back pairing of Shane O'Neill and Caleb Sanko, who who are you know more naturally probably are midfielders, but you know they're being really pressed into the, into into potentially starting roles at center back. You know when you, when you look at this team, Ivis, you know you mentioned a couple of players that that you're really looking forward to seeing as they could be breakout players. 
But when you look at the strengths and weaknesses of this team, where is this team, you know, for, for people watching? I mean, let's handicap the game tomorrow. You know, what are some things that people should look for, you know, for the strengths and the weaknesses going into that game? Well, I, I think that, you know, for the key for the what Tab Ramos is going to want his team to do is to be able to keep possession and to be able to pressure the opposing team. You know, I, I think the entire youth setup, U23, U20, all the way up to the national team, I think Jurgen Klinsmann really wants his teams to, to you know, pressure opponents. And, and I think, we you know, as we saw with the U23s under Caleb Porter, I think we could see a similar kind of system, 4-3-3, uh, you know, high press. It, you know, it might not be exactly the same as what Caleb did, but I, I think it's going to be a technical team when you think about the players that are going to be there. Someone like Will Trapp of the Columbus crew, you know, who, who projects to be a starter on this team. I think he's going to be key. I think if him, Gil, uh, you know, Villarreal, if all those guys can get on the same page and keep the ball, knock it around, create chances, uh, I think the U.S. should be in good shape, even with the shaky defense. I think they'll be able to keep the ball and keep keep pressure off the back four by being able to keep the ball. And, uh, you know, while, while there are questions about the about the defense, you know, I think you can argue that the, the, from a technical standpoint, the, the, the defenders in the back are, are all pretty proficient technically and they'll be able to move the ball around, pass the ball well. So, you know, it, it's not going to be your typical U.S. team that's this big physical team that's tries to overpower opponents and, and, and is going to be bigger and stronger than opponents. I think it'll actually be a pretty technical team. So I think, you know, you know, from that standpoint – Barring defensive breakdowns, I think this U.S. team is going to be pretty fun to watch. Well, one uh, player that this team could really be using is uh, Mark Pelosi. And uh, if you've been living under a cave, he, here's a quick summary of what happened. Got named to the team. Liverpool said, we're going to name you to Europa roster. He did not leave Liverpool. And now he has a broken leg and is probably going to be out for the rest of the summer. Ives, this, uh, this is devastating and, and just horrible news for him and for the future of this team. It's just it's unfortunate to see something like this happen. Talk about, I mean, tell you, man, talk about a worst case scenario. Yeah. I mean, the last show we were sitting here talking about what a, I mean, for me, and I, I said it, I said it in the last show, it was a bad job by Liverpool not to release him. And again, I'm you can't blame Liverpool for the broken leg. I mean, it's not like, you know, it just worked out that way. But that being said, we can, no, no, sure. come on. We can blame them, Ivis. We can blame them. Yeah, it's an unfortunate turn of events, but. You know, for me, I still think they made a mistake. They should have let him play in the U20 qualifying tournament. The fact that he didn't even travel for the Europa game, yeah. the Europa League game, I mean, it just made – what were they – you know, I think it was just a smokescreen. It was as if, you know, they threw him that Europa uh, League roster spot to kind of justify not letting him go. And, and you know, it's just so, such bad timing for, for him. And not only now – not only will he not be a part of the U20 qualifying team, now even if they qualify – He's not going to be part of the under twenty World Cup because no. you know he's got a broken leg, a clean break tibia and fibula. He's it's he's just not going to be back in time for the under twenty World Cup, and it's devastating. And and, and I tell you what, I mean, he was going to be, you know, just based on his development and the way he'd been coming along at Liverpool, and all, by all accounts, he was really making a lot of progress over these last few months. He would have been a key member of the U twenty team. I think Tab Ramos would have found a spot for him in the lineup. He's he's that good. He's someone who would have been a factor, and now he's not going to be there. And it's unbelievable to think that in just a few weeks' time, yeah, uh, you've seen the U twenty pool lose two players to badly broken legs. Will Packwood, uh, you know the defender, he broken leg. He's out. He won't be a part of U twenty World Cup. And now you have Mark Pelosi, and it's unbelievable to have that kind of bad luck. 
the, the one thing, I mean, the whole entire time I kept thinking, like, the Omar Gonzalez, Omar Gonzalez, this is Omar Gonzalez all over again. This is what happens when you don't go when you're called in. I, I think there's a curse. Nah, yeah. It could be. There could be. There could be. Think about it. I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot. I think that's a little bit of reach. I mean, at the <laughs> end of the day, you know, the Omar Gonzalez thing, you know, I think everyone kind of agreed that, well, LA didn't agree. But I think Klinsman and Omar Gonzalez agreed that it was better for him to go and, and, and go on this trial to try to secure his place in Nuremberg. And if he doesn't tear his ACL, you know, he probably goes on loan. He probably gets sold last winter. So, I mean, everything happens for a reason. He comes back. He wins an MLS Cup. He's he's MVP of the MLS Cup final. And a few months later, he's starting in World Cup qualifying. So I think, thing, I think yeah. things have worked out pretty well for him. No, they uh, as, far as, as far as Pelosi goes... I mean that's just 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 awful. I mean it's just it's just so disappointing for a player who who'd shown so much progress, who'd made so much progress with Liverpool, and, and you really started to to get a sense that that maybe there were big things on the horizon in the near future. Now now that's going to be put on hold. Now he has to start over come next season. Uh, but again, he's still he's still someone to watch. I mean he's a talented young American player, and I think Liverpool thinks highly of him. So 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 it's going to be interesting to see how he recovers and responds. You know, and I was the one thing about this too that I look at. You know, it's a devastating injury like this on a player so young. It you know, it kind of makes you want to hold your breath and kind of just say, okay, just, just, just. Hopefully, if he has whatever he has surgery, whatever goes for you, you just kind of hope that everything's going to kind of work out for him because you know you just don't want to see anything like this affect a player's career. Right, no question. And yeah. I mean, from 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 U.S. national team standpoint and U.S. fan standpoint, it just it just seems like. The last three years or so have been have had these kind of nightmares. I mean, obviously the Charlie Davies accident that that totally sidelined his career. Mm-hmm. Stuart Holden with these multiple, uh, you know, devastating injuries that that have, to- have derailed his career uh, temporarily. And now you have these two broken legs, and it's just like it, it's just it's just unbelievable. I mean, the bad luck when you talk about key players who who, who were on rapid rises and their trajectories were, were heading in a great direction. Uh, it, it just it just shows you like how fleeting um, a career can be for a professional player and, and how you have to take full advantage of the opportunities that come your way and and, and not to get back on it or not to and not to dwell on it but it, but it, it kind of can make you understand why people react the way they do to Landon Donovan and his situation and the fact that you know he needs time he's, he needs to take a break he's he's passing on these national team games that that he's completely healthy to play in. And then you have all these other guys who would kill to be on a national team, who, who've had you know the adverse con- situations, injuries, uh, all these things happen to them, and they would kill to have that opportunity. And here he is passing on them because you know he's going through his own thing, his own you know whatever emotional situations or or just you know burnout, whatever it is. So that you can understand why U.S. some U.S. fans and maybe even some players will look at him and, and have a little resentment. Uh, but again, getting back to the to, to, to the topic at hand. You know, for these young guys, the one positive they have, especially for Packwood and for Pelosi, is that they're young enough now that, you know, you hope that nothing crazy happens, that, the you know, clean break. For, you know, his agent, Mark Pelosi's agent, uh, Richard Moskin, told me that, you know, he, it was a clean break. He's going to have surgery and, 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 and hopefully everything is clean and he can come back. Uh, these guys are young enough that they can get right back to their careers, right back to building and working their way up the ladder. I mean, they're both very young and very talented and, and still guys you're going to want to keep an eye on. The U.S. men's national team isn't the only thing in the news. MLS preseason tournaments are in full swing. Uh, Ivis, you and I are going to break a little bit of those down. We'll talk about a little bit of some of the games and some of the news that's going on in the league as a whole. 
Before we get to that, Robbie Rogers, a player everyone should be familiar with. He played uh, with the Columbus Crew. Well, he made his name, I'd say, with the Columbus Crew. He also played for the U.S. Men's National Team. Uh, you know, he, he left Leeds United, his parent club in England. Uh, he was a free agent. Um, and then the other day, he recently came out that he was gay on a uh, on a note that he wrote on his website. And, um, I mean, the, the overall reaction that everyone has, has said so far has been extremely supportive of him. And, you know, he said he's going to step away from football. I'm pretty sure he didn't say he's going to retire, but he said he was stepping away. But, you know, when, when you look at someone like this, you know, it, it's such a huge decision that they're making. And this is a life-changing event, and he, and he can't take it back. And, you know, you have to understand that, that this is something that has, you know, been eating them away for a long time. And, and you have to commend him for... I mean, for one coming out, because I mean, he he doesn't he doesn't owe us anything, but you have to you know commend him for for coming out and, and hopefully you know he he can, I guess, be a shining example for for a society where we can be more tolerant. And, you know, and, and and this is nothing against your generation, Ivis, but you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a younger guy. I know, but I'm a younger guy, and, and I like to think that I'm from one of the first generations where everyone is very tolerant of that. You know, like my best friend is gay, and and I love him to death, and he's one of the coolest guys I've ever my entire life, and. You know, I grew up in a family where, you know, my mom always taught to me, you know, spoke to me to, to be accepting of everyone. And, and it's good to see that in our society that, that, you know, people can choose to live a lifestyle whatever way they want. And we can all accept them for who they are and respect them who they are. Because, you know what, he, he was a good soccer player. And, you know, and, and this is such a, I'm going on a tangent, but this is, this is such a, you know, a life-changing experience, though. I've, it's, it's good to see that everyone's reaction has been positive so far. Oh, it, it has been a great reaction uh, among among the American soccer community. And, I don't think anyone should be surprised by that, you know, to, to see not only fans, but to see players <clears throat> from around the league and, and around the sport uh, just step up and, and offer their support. And, 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 and as far as Robbie Rogers and just the decision, uh, it's all, I mean, it's a life changing decision. It, it, it's a decision that really, I mean, he felt he had to make any, and it, it's great that he was able to, to do it because it takes a lot of courage to, to take that, to make that leap and, and to, and to put faith in the world that, that you will be accepted and, and that you won't be shunned. And, and it just shows, obviously, we've come a long way. And it, it, it just the views on, on that are, are, have changed a bit and, and, and the world is a lot more welcoming. I mean, it's obviously not a perfect world. You still have people who, who have these these antiquated views and these these prejudiced views. And it's really disappointing. But just along the same lines as, as, as the idea of, of the things that, that say, Josie Altidore, uh, dealt with lately with racism. I mean, you're mm -hmm. going to have people who are just not educated, who just have these these views that that are so unfortunate. But all you can do is try to educate a, a, as many people as you can. And and it's interesting when you think about MLS and and the reaction of Robbie Rogers. You know, you had two people who who re, who responded to it, uh, Mark Birch and Colin Clark, who who were very supportive of Rogers, uh, him coming out. And these are two guys who last year were suspended. For, for making gay slurs on on the field, so I mean, it just it just shows that maybe people are 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 being more becoming more educated and, and more accepting because when it comes down to it, you know, like it's it's part of our life, our life now. Have people who are gay and you have to accept them as every you should ex accept everybody, and I think people are starting to realize that 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 you can't uh, be be prejudiced, uh, you know, towards people. For, for the color of skin, their, their sexual makeup, any of that. And I think now, thankfully, as you say, the new generation, the young, the younger generation uh, is, is, is much more tolerant. But I, I believe my generation is, is, is growing more tolerant as well. I mean, and, and all the way up the line. I mean, obviously, 
when you talk about much older generations that are just kind of set in their ways and maybe just don't ha- haven't quite made the adjustment. But it's clear we're we're in a different world now, and it's and it's heading in a better direction. And, and the other thing when you look at this, Ivis, is the fact that he's still young. He's twenty five years old, and he's going to step away from the game. And, and you know, it kind of leaves you wondering. I mean, is he doing it doing it because maybe he feels he won't be accepted, or is this things that maybe he needs to find himself as a person? You know, but you you know you you wonder. I mean, do you think he's going to be able to come back and play, and and will a team accept him? Right. I, I think that was one of the interesting reactions uh, out there was was to the the idea of him stepping away, and I think a lot of people took it as him feeling like he can't be a gay pro soccer player. And I, I me personally, I mean, just reading it, looking at it, it didn't seem like it was that. It seemed like it had more to do with with, with him just you know, wanting to deal with this chapter of his life now, now that he's made this monumental decision to come out and, and it's not, it's not easy to deal with. And maybe he's just not ready uh, to, to deal with everything that would come with being the first, you know, professional uh, team sports athlete in, in the U S to, to, to come out while they're still playing. I mean, I think that's true. I mean, I, I know players in other leagues have, have come out, but I, I don't know if they've come out at while they were still playing. So I think, you know that that's a lot to ask somebody. So I I, I think while, you know I, I know there's some supposedly some signs that he probably won't come back, and I know he's had he's had some issues with concussions and 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 there might be some health issues there that might keep him coming back. But I think from the standpoint of would he be accepted? I think if there's a league that that could that is ready for that that could handle that that is progressive enough to 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 handle that and have have the environment for that, I think MLS is that league. And and while it would be great if Robbie Rogers could be that player. You know, I don't think anyone should should kind of look at him and say he has to be that player, or he has to take on that burden, that responsibility. Uh, you know, that he has to live his life and he has to to, to do what he can handle and what what makes him feel right. Uh, the day is going to come when there's going to be that player that 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 person that that person who who could becomes the the Jackie Robinson of, of the gay movement who, who just you know breaks down that that wall and becomes a, an active professional athlete who is gay uh could it be Rodgers? it still could be he's 25 uh maybe you know with some time away and a chance to kind of enjoy his freedom uh and enjoy you know the life that he will have now as an openly gay person maybe he can come back and and i know a lot of people are rooting for that i you know i'd love to see that mls would love to see that in the chicago fire who have his rights now They've come out and said, you know, they 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 they'll they will welcome him. Even their fans, uh, the Chicago Fire fans, uh, I believe a group of, of their fans wrote an open letter to Rogers, to basically asking him or letting him know that they have that he he has their support. So I think it's all there for him to to maybe do that. But again, no one should expect that. No one should ask that. If he wants to do that, that's totally up to him. It would be great. But again, people need to realize he has a life to live. He has a lot of things to deal with. And they and they just really have to let him live his life and 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 appreciate what he has already done. Exactly. I mean, and he's also a good player too. So it's not like we're we're you know looking at it this as, you know, hey, come back. I mean, if he comes back, he, I mean, he he could be starting for a team in the MLS. Maybe. I mean, he was a good player for a while when he's with the crew. I mean, that that's how he got named up for the to the U.S. Men's National Team. And I mean, he was doing very well for a while. You know, I, I guess my biggest fear with this whole thing is that you know people are going to be so quick to. I guess, I mean, annoying him as, you know, the, the poster boy of everyone else needs to follow his example type of thing. Because, I mean, like, at the end of the day, he's just a normal guy like the rest of us. You know, he, he has his own personal, you know, things that he's going on in his life, his own personal life. And, and I hope that, 
you know, everyone could be accepting of, of whatever decision that he makes, whether it be he's going to play or, or he's not going to play. Um, Ivis, though, as, as we look at the uh, MLS, though, in general right now, and Ivis, Chivas USA still making headlines. They are now undefeated in the in the preseason. They defeated the Colorado Rapids 3-0. to zero. Have you ever seen anything like this before? It, it, well, as far as, uh, you know, a team going undefeated in preseason, I think. Well, we, not that, but uh, just this whole the drama, the makeup of all this. They're undefeated. I mean, it's just like, this seems like a Hollywood movie almost. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still early. I mean, I don't think anyone should 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 start printing out the uh, MLS Cup uh, parade route for them just yet, just because, uh, you know, they've beaten some some kind of no-account teams and kind of smaller clubs, and now they've beaten Colorado, which is kind of the first real victory for their for their uh, you know their resume as far as the preseason goes. But it is interesting. It does make you wonder: Will they actually put a team together that surprises people? Uh, they're not, they can't possibly be done building. I mean, they don't have enough of a team right now to compete, in my opinion. But it does make you wonder when they can put a three-zero result on a, on Colorado. You know, just maybe they're a little better than we thought. And and I'm sure a lot of people looking at that lineup on Friday night in Las Vegas kind of cringed and 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 looked at it and said, "This is exactly what we thought we would see." Dan Kennedy on the field and. <laughs> Mexicans and Mexican-Americans or, you know, Latinos, I, I'd say that. I mean, I don't think they were all uh, Mexicans or Mexican-Americans. Uh, it, was, it, it was actually nine Latinos yeah. and then a Frenchman in Lauren Courtois and Dan Kennedy. And then Courtois came out early in the first half. Um, it, but I tell you what, they're becoming the team that people want to hate. Uh, American fans, I know a lot of them, just, you know, reading the comments on SBI and, and, and on Twitter, a lot of people are unhappy with what they're doing. With, with their, you know, movement towards a Mexican style, a team consisting mostly of Latin, Latino players, uh, specifically Mexicans and Mexican-Americans, they are, are becoming the villain as a team. And, and their head coach, El Chelis, is kind of that figurehead. So it, it's going to be fun to watch. You know, it, it, before you had a player in Rafa Marquez who was a villain, and now you have a whole team <laughs> going into the season as a villain. And if they actually win games, if they actually succeed at this, I think it's only going to build it up more. It's I'm only, jumping on the bandwagon. Team, people are going to hate them. I'm jumping on the bandwagon, Ivis. I'm going to support them now. Just because yeah, everyone, you know, just it, because it, everyone it, hates it's them. It's funny, man. I mean, I, I get what people have an issue with. And it, but, like, for me, I, I, I've never said I've had a problem with it. Uh, you know, it's a big league, 19 teams. If one team wants to to focus on that specific style and, and cater to a specific market of fans. I, I, I don't have an issue with it. And I know people say, oh, it's racist, it's it's illegal. Listen, if it was illegal, trust me, MLS would have sent would have sent the memos, they would have had the meetings, they would have placed the phone calls. I'm pretty sure the league has vetted this entire situation, and it's not an issue. At the end of the day, Chivas USA is part of a 19-team league, a single-entity league, and all 19 teams, as, as far as a, a company and an organization, are all one. And if only one part of that is predominantly Latino, that is not an issue. You have other teams, and you've had teams for years that had no Latinos, had hardly any Latinos on it. So I think when, from a balance standpoint as a league, I don't, think, I don't think we're headed toward doom if one of the teams decides to go that route. The issue, and I've said it over and over, is... Are, is the team being managed well, handled well? Are they making good decisions? And I think some of them have been questionable. They've been fleeced, in my opinion, in, in several trades. And, and we're going to see how that how that hurts them down the road. But, hey, they're undefeated right now. 
So you can't knock it. They're doing pretty well. But you know what? When things go live in, in March, it's going to be a complete. It's, you know, they're going to need a much better team than they have right now. That's why we need to jump in the bandwagon now, Ivis, because if they win, then everyone's going to know that we started it. I'm not going to say I'm going to be on the oh, come bandwagon. On, come on, come hey, on. Jo- join it with me. I've got no issue with what they're doing. Jo- I, ex- exactly. See, th- and that's the thing. People, people need to realize this. It's their money. It's their team. They can do whatever they want with it. As much as it's going to piss you off, then if you don't like it, then you go get $100 million and make your own MLS team. It's their MLS team. If they want to do this and they might lose money, they, they probably will lose money, but they don't care. It's their team. and you, I mean, you can't take that away from them, Ivis. Right, no question. And then again, I know this whole idea of, oh, American players are losing their jobs. And who's, it, and wait, wait, wait. Who, who's who's saying Listen, that? All those guys, all these guys are finding, are these, they, they still have jobs. James Riley is, is, is happy at DC United. I'm sure he'd rather be enjoying the sun in, in L.A., but you know what? He's on a good team now. He's on a playoff team now. Uh, all these guys that have left there, Ben Zemanski, I'm pretty sure Ben Zemanski's happy to be in Portland uh, with Caleb Porter. Uh, Casey Townsend is, is back, is over in DC United. The Maryland player is, is back, you know, in, in his in familiar stomping ground. So you know what? I think those guys are going to be all right. And and people might need to take it down a notch on this whole, you know, this is racist. This is awful. This is, you know, the league, how can the league let this happen? Listen, if it was a real issue, the league would have stepped in by now. Well, dude, losing jobs. These guys are Mexican Americans. I mean, most of them are from California. Well, yeah, like, that's the thing too. On. That's the thing. How stupid are people? That's, that's kind of listen. That's the unspoken thing that that people don't want, want to probably don't want to address or talk about is the fact that for how many years now have there been really not many Latin American players in MLS, proportionate to the number of players in this country. So you know what? For 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 years now. I would argue that Latin American players have been underrepresented in MLS. And the fact that now you have maybe a few more opportunities for Latin Latino American players, I don't know, you know, that's I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I think that it's an opportunity for some players who, who maybe wouldn't have had, had a chance otherwise, and now they're getting that chance. Uh, you know, obviously they're you know, if they're mostly Mexican and Mexican American team, then you're gonna alienate a large section of fans. They're not gonna, you know. They're, they're, they're going to have to focus on the Mexican population in L.A., the Mexican-American population in L.A. That's fine, but that's what they're going for. That being said, you don't have to root for them. You don't have to like them. But I think people are going a little overboard with how, how uh, you know, that it's an outrage, that it's criminal, that it's this or that. It's not. It's a soccer team that wants to play a certain style, wants to cater to a certain fan base. People just need to deal with it. No, and, and it's that money. I mean, if they want to lose that money, then that's their, that's their personal choice. All right, I was, let's look at kind of the, the, the rest of MLS. You know, uh, as we said, uh, all the teams are, are, are preseason tournaments right now. Some teams looking good so far. Columbus Crew, 3 you know, I mean, take it for what it is. It's preseason. Some other teams looking, okay, really not that good. Uh, one player who, who's performing very well uh, as a player that was picked in the first round this year is uh, Keku, Kekutu Mane. <laughs> Kekutu Mane. That's pretty good. Well, he, yeah, he scored a brace for Vancouver. Uh, I mean, obviously, that's going to make Vancouver fans happy, especially when they're going to need some attacking up front. Say it with me, Garrett. What? Kikuda Mane. Kikuda Mane. I was close. Kikuda Mane. I was close. Kikuda Mane. Not, not Kikutu. Although that sounds pretty cool. Uh, listen, man, I, I tell you what. Since I saw the kid at the Combine, I, I've been sold. He, he says he's an electric player. He's super quick, super fast, and he's fearless as an 18-year-old player. Uh, I think the Whitecaps got themselves a hell of a player, and uh, his ceiling is 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 an unbelievable. You know, I mean, he for me, he's someone that you know wouldn't shock me three four years down the line. He's getting sold for a big number. 
Really? He's good, man. I'm, t- he's, I'm telling you, he, he's, he's, he's a quality player. And, and I know some people thought maybe he's a little raw. Once he gets to the next level, is he going to be able to make that adjustment? And, hey, it's only preseason. He's going up against some, you know, defenders that maybe don't make teams that aren't necessarily first choice first team choices. Well I mean he also scored he also scored his goals against the Charleston battery. I don't I mean I don't want to take anything from them, but Right. But he I'm telling you, the kid is a good player. And playing on that team with some of the speed they have there, when you talk about Kakuda Mane and Darren Maddox playing each other, there aren't oh, many God. defenses in MLS that can deal with that kind of speed. And if if the Whitecaps midfield if Martin Rennie could put together a quality midfield to set those guys up, if Kobayashi t- uh, proves to be the real deal, if Nigel Rio Coker ends up signing with the Whitecaps and, and they can put the, those, you know, that kind of quality midfield behind those speedsters, I tell you, they're gonna be they're gonna be tough to deal with. Yeah, it, well, but you wonder what type of team Vancouver is gonna be this year. I mean, that last year they looked so good in the beginning and they tailed off at the very end. I mean, you wonder. I mean. Uh, you, it's like you really kind of don't know how to how to summarize what they're going to be like this season. Well, you, you know what's interesting is I really get I really there is a little bit of a deja vu sense looking at how they're going into this season building their team because it's a lot a lot similar to last season where they you know they stockpiled eight or nine forwards trying to find the right guys to 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 come into that mix where they went wrong last year where Martin Rennie went wrong is is trying to go and and get some European players some Scottish players Kenny Miller. Barry Robson and, and and kind of pigeonhole them in, plug them in, and just expect them to do well in MLS. And it was an abject failure. And I think though though those those decisions, those those signings, and obviously the the departure of Davide Cumiento, that it 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 totally you know it was it was their downfall. I mean, it spiraled the season. Such a promising season, they barely make the playoffs. They totally moonwalked into the playoffs. Uh, and I think you know you, you want to think that Rennie, Martin Rennie and those guys have learned learned from that, learned from those mistakes. Uh, you know they were doing so well and to completely overhaul the team. I mean, you just, that was a head scratcher. And, and you you got to think you you hope at least that, that they've learned from that and, and that they build a team. And if they get the things right and have a good solid squad early on, mm-hmm. that they don't mess with it and they just let it play out. Like give it a full season. They don't tinker. Because they have a good team, they have some good pieces, and, and you know, I mean, for me, there's still some question marks there. Like, what are they going to do with Omar Salgado? He's kind of the odd man out. Uh, as yeah. I reported the, in the last show, you know, they were going to trade him for Dan Kennedy, and then the trade fell apart. And now, you know, you almost wonder where does he fit in? I mean, he's not. This is he was the number one overall pick in the draft two years ago, and and it doesn't seem like he's going to even get on the field. And you know, if they're not going to trade him, they got to figure something out because the kid's too good to just sit and and just have him waste away on the bench. Yeah, that's the Omar Sadago situation is kind of it's getting a little interesting up there. Uh, all right, I was, let, let's uh, let's head out to the Desert Diamond Cup in the greatest state ever, Arizona. That's right, Arizona. Seattle Sounders are two and zero right now. They beat the New England Revolution two to zero on Wednesday, and then they just beat Real Salt Lake on Saturday, two to one. The team, uh, the team's doing pretty good. Look, they're looking pretty well so far. And I mean, Eddie Johnson scored a goal uh, in that first game, and. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of a rumor, Ivis, that Seattle might be getting some uh, some extra help this summer. Right. The, the hot rumor making the rounds this weekend was was that our Argentine striker Javier Saviola uh, is headed to Seattle this summer, and there's nothing nothing's been confirmed. How know, legit? How legit is this? You know, it's tough to say. I mean, it. it I wouldn't say it's complete fiction. Uh, there, there does seem to be something to it. Uh, but again, you always have to wonder about these kind of links because 
a lot of times you get you get agents, and this has happened in New York for years, for more than a decade. You get agents that that throw MLS into into the picture of their players because, you know, it, it just makes it seem like their players ha- have more options. And with Sav- I don't know if Saviola necessarily needs that. I mean, he's playing at Malaga right now, now in Spain. He, he scored a goal this past weekend. He's still a quality player who really highly sought after. Uh, I know River played in Argentina. Would love to have him. Uh, but you know, Seattle has money. And they and they've let it be known they're not afraid to spend it and and you could totally see them being able to to lure a, a top player like Saviola uh, to MLS and I tell you what if they can sign him I think he's still a quality player I think he could be an excellent scorer and if you combine if you can partner him with Eddie Johnson oh yeah I mean you got to put them if they can find a, a quality center back because I still they, I still think they need a center back but if they can get a center back and they can get Saviola I mean you're talking MLS title contender without well, a doubt everyone would start saying. Uh... Montero, who? <laughs> well, hey, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm just, come on, <laughs> come on, I, I, hey, soon, hey, no, hey, hey, no, you hey. know what? I tell you what, Eddie Johnson, that's already kind of happened because Eddie Johnson's in town and Eddie Johnson's scoring goals, and he's take he or he, I, I feel like he took over the top spot in Seattle last season. I mean, I think, I think a lot of a lot of Sounders fans, the sense I get is a lot of Seattle fans, a lot of Seattle fans. After a year, after year, after year of watching Freddie Montero not deliver in the playoffs, I think it just became easy for them to see him leave, and that's why I honestly never got the sense this offseason that there was this great like backlash or great uh, outcry. How is how are you letting him leave? I didn't get that sense at all. I think that a lot of people have confidence in Eddie Johnson as they should. I mean, he had a great year. I think he's going to be in for another big year this year. And now, if they're going to spend the money and they're going to get a good, four, they're going to get a four well, like they, Javier Saviola. Well, they need a four. I mean, they need a four. No, right, without a doubt. I mean, um, David Estrada. I mean, oh, I mean, he can play forward or, or Sammy Ochoa. I mean, he, he can play hey, forward listen, too. But I mean, they, they need a well they need a forward. Right, right. Well, hey, they have the summer, and and in the summer they can yeah. go sign somebody. As we've learned in MLS, uh, you know, championships are won in the second half of the season, not in the first half. So. I mean, they still have way – they have a ton of attacking talent, even if, if Eddie Johnson's their only established, really top-notch forward. I think they could, they, could, they could still be a top team even before someone like Saviola comes, whether it's Saviola or, or another forward, another big-ticket forward. As long as Seattle spends the money to get themselves a, a marquee designated player type forward, they're going to be right there in the conversation for the MLS Cup title. Well, Ivis, uh, as we speak about Seattle, let's, let's, let's keep it in the uh, Cascadia – Region. Uh, Portland Timbers having their preseason tournament going on. I can only imagine it's probably like 30 degrees and snowing up there right now. Uh, but Ryan Johnson had a hat trick for Portland. Uh, I mean, you, you got to assume that that the fans are, even though they tied, they got to be just jazzed right now to see goals on the board. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I think, you know, just to get into Jeldwin and, and have the crowd there, I think they had 14,000 yeah. tonight. I think that's the number I saw. You know they're starting to build that that buzz and that excitement and and the idea that they have a team that's going to be fun to watch, that's going to score goals and, and you know I've been saying it for a few shows now that you got to be excited about the the moves they've made in the midfield they've put together and Ryan Johnson, it's funny he 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 had a rough second half of last season people kind of forgot about him, but you know he's a player who can put goals on the board and and you put and if you put a good midfield behind him, he is still someone who can be a quality player and, and that trade uh, with Toronto could turn out to be a steal because he, you know, he could be the exact player that fits in perfectly into that system that Caleb Porter wants uh, to play. And, and, you know, Hey, it's a preseason game again, that's fine. But they hey, they did it against San Jose. 
not exactly a pushover. So you have to like where things are going. And they're two weeks away from that opener in Portland against the Red Bulls. And, and you got to like what they're doing and you, and you have to like their chance in that game. No, it, and it's it's like what you said. I mean, the season starts two weeks from now, but it's not like, you know, obviously scoring goals now is you know it's it's. I mean, you want to see your players performing well now before the season. I mean, I mean that's that's what you want out of your team, and you don't want to go into the first week where I mean, you you don't want your team coming off a crap preseason, pretty much. Right, without a doubt, that's the thing. I mean, it it's a tricky one because on one hand. If you have an outstanding undefeated preseason, it really doesn't mean anything because, I mean, I think the Philadelphia Union had an unbeaten preseason last year. and Obviously, that didn't do much for them. Uh, and I've seen, and there have been bad te- teams that have had bad preseasons that come out and had great years. So I think the key is, especially a team like Portland, when, when you have a new, a new coach yeah. coming in, you had a lot of roster turnover, you have players who have to get used to playing together. I think the preseason, is, the, the results aren't as important as just – getting the engine going, getting, getting the pieces to kind of fit together and getting them to flow. It, it's not re- so much about the results, but, you know, playing good soccer, uh, building attacks, uh, setting up chances. And I think for a team like Portland, who struggled so much last year, uh, you know, to just put goals on the board, I, I think people have to be pretty excited about, about what they've been able to put together this offseason. Well, that wraps it up for the SBI show today. Everyone can watch the U.S. men's under-20 team qualify for the world cup that game begins tomorrow it's at 6 30 eastern 5 i'm sorry 6 30 eastern 3 30 pacific it's on fox soccer channel everyone watch it ivis will be watching it uh ivis thank you so much for today that wraps it up on the sbi podcast i am garrett cleverly thank you for listening